It's my honor and privilege tonight to introduce our guest speaker for the weekend, Ms. Deborah Oakley. Would you like to give her a hand already? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. My husband, Pastor Alan, and I welcome you to Generations Church. Amen. And thank you, Debbie, and your team for facilitating this weekend for us. Alan and I met Joe and Deborah about uh, oh, 25 years ago, somewhere in the late 80s, and we were, our, we as couples were fathered under Pastor Olin Griffin, who is the father of both of us, I guess, of all four of us. And we learned a lot in those days at Shady Grove Church, which is now a gateway campus in Grand Prairie. And you've read the bio about Deborah. She's married to a really handsome dude who happens to be standing at the back of the room. If, he's clapping. If everybody turn around and say, Yay, Joe! I don't know what you've done to your wife, but she just keeps looking younger and younger. I don't know. It's like you've done a great job, Joe. Anyway, so you've read the bio on Debs, and she has a beautiful daughter who's here this evening. And I think she stepped out. <laughs> you can introduce her. Yes, and she has a really gorgeous son. He's actually a hunk. He's kind of like my son. We both have hunks for sons. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. There are hunks now, but when I knew them when they were little, they were punks. <laughs> yeah. And so, so Deborah and Joe and Alan and I have raised our kids together. We, our kids went to Shady Grove Christian Academy at the, during the late 80s and early 90s. And we've watched Joe and Deborah uh, be released from Shady Grove to start a wonderful work in Grand Prairie, and their church is thriving and beautiful, and Deborah co-pastors with her husband there, and she is a stellar woman of God. I think everything about Deborah is just excellent. And so we wanted to bring nothing but the best to generations. And so with that, I'm going to introduce Deborah Oakley. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so honored tonight to be here. And if you noticed some of the folks from my church getting up and walking out, that is not because I'm getting ready to speak. (laughs) But that's because I can't find my sermon notes. I know. (laughs) It hasn't happened to me before. Jesse, did you look in the hospitality room, in the restroom, on the tape CD table? Yeah, the, re- yeah, the men's restroom, the ladies' restroom. Dad's printing another one. Thank you. There, see, I knew there was a reason my amazing husband came. That would explain it right there. It's a red notebook, so if anybody did see a red notebook floating around here, I am lost without my notebook, but hey, God's in control. And Joe's printing another one. Where was it? Oh, okay. Yay! (laughs) That's good. God just wanted to catch me off guard, didn't he? (laughs) Well, I am so thrilled to be here. I love this church. 
I knew I would. What amazing, wonderful women. And I want to thank Pastor Yvette and Pastor Allen so much for inviting me. As uh, Pastor Yvette said, we go way back, many, many years, know each other's kids. She has beautiful children and beautiful grandchildren. Pastor Yvette, if I could define her by one characteristic, it would be a heart after God. Like David who had a heart after God, a man after God's own heart. Pastor Yvette is a woman after God's own heart. I get around her, and I feel the anointing of God. I feel the presence of God around her. And, and Pastor Allen, I know both of them love you so much, and you are so blessed to have them as your pastors. And Pastor Yvette, I never come before greatness empty-handed, so I wanted to bring you this. If you want to come up here, this one right here is for you. I just wanted to present you with this as a thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Amen. What a woman of God. And wasn't that worship awesome? (laughs) You're welcome. I also want to thank uh, Pastor Debbie, uh, who I've enjoyed getting to know and speaking with and getting to uh, share everything that we were going to be doing and all the texts and all the emails. It's, it's been so wonderful. And Pastor Debbie, I want to present you with this. Actually, wait, it's this one. Let's see. i got to look at the names. That's, that's a lady. Okay. There you go. Thank you. You're welcome. And then this is for Pastor Alatha. Where'd she go? Oh, there you are. Thank you so much. Listen. I loved Jesus at the center of it all. She prayed over that song. The team prayed over that song. And that was so perfect. So thank you so much. It just brought the anointing into the house, didn't it? And then last of all, but not least, I did have to bring something for a very dear and special friend and a lady that came here with me. Darcy, if you would come on down. I want to present you with this gift. Darcy is our personal assistant. She, she makes me look better than I really am. <laughs> I love you, and I appreciate you so much. Thank you for helping me. She did the CD table, and, and I can be a little bit high-maintenance sometimes, but Darcy never complains or never treats me like I'm high-maintenance, so for that, I'm, I appreciate her and thank her. Also, if you are from Grace Fellowship Church, would you please stand? I, I'm so honored. What a bunch of good-looking women, huh? Listen, these ladies just came to me and said, Pastor Deb, we want to go. We want to support you. And it never occurred to me that they'd want to make an hour drive to hear me speak. They can hear me speak right there at Grace Fellowship, right? So I was really blessed by that and honored. And um, I'd like to just ask my daughter, Kristen, to stand real quick. I just have to honor her. This is my beautiful daughter that Pastor Yvette was referring to, Kristen. I'm so proud of her. She's an amazing wife, an amazing mother, a friend, a woman of God. And, uh, you know, God is faithful with our children. If we raise them in the way that they should go, when they're older, they will not depart from it, right? So I'm honored to have her here. Also, my husband, Joe, who is here, but he's back there on the PowerPoint. I found my message, baby. I found it. <laughs> yeah, he knows how, how, that, how hard that would be. So, uh, Okay, before we get into the Word, um, one other thing that I want to do is, uh, I'm sure many of you saw that there was a CD table out there, and so I want to give away some CDs. Yay! Does anybody want some CDs? All right. Well, uh, this first one that I want to give away is called, 
overcoming approval addiction. Yeah, that's a good one. If you've ever struggled with caring too much about what other people think and caring more about what people think than what God thinks, then this CD will really bless your, bless your life and bless your heart. So the first person up here gets it. <laughs> okay, you know what? You're going to get the next one, which is go the extra mile. Yeah. Good CD about laying our life down for one another and about serving one another. And, you know, anyone can do things halfway. But if we go the extra mile and just do a little bit more, it doesn't take a whole lot to do a little more than, than average. Anybody can do average, right? But to go a little bit more effort and we've gone the extra mile. Then the presence-driven life. This is all about, okay, <laughs> drawing near to God. Being a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart. And then um, somebody from the back. First hand that goes up. Let me see a hand. Okay, I saw your hand first. Okay, come here, you two. You come on down. You can have the other one. So you get this one. Dying to live, okay? About laying your life down again. About dying to self. So you'll enjoy that. Press in, press out, press on. (laughs) Good word. About not giving up in the face of discouragement or in the face of disappointment, which we all go through, don't we? How to overcome disappointment, how to fail forward, okay? So you can visit the CD table. Um, CDs are $7. They're $10 if you order them, because I didn't bring all of my titles. If you order them, they're $10, but if you order more than one, the second one is $7. Uh, Pastor Debbie wanted me to make sure and say that, so (laughs) I got that in there. All right, before I get into my message, um, I want to tell you why I am so excited about this theme, Abiding in the Vine. I mean, I've never had something like this happen before to me, so I have to share this story. My, my husband and I have pastored together Grace Fellowship Church in Grand Prairie for uh, about 12 years. And in that uh, 12 years, we've always ministered together side by side uh, as a team. And about six months ago, God told me to resign two of the positions that I held at our church. Well, that really threw me for a loop. That was like a curveball in my life. I was like, you know, it's one of those things like, did I really hear God? And it just kind of rocked my world. So I struggled with it. I struggled with it. It knocked the wind out of my sails. Uh, And one of the things I kept thinking is, how will the church continue without me? Pretty good sign I was hearing God, don't you think? (laughs) So I did it, and miracles of miracles, of all miracles, the church is growing more than it ever has. You want to be humbled? God has ways of humbling us, right? So, I mean, the church is exploding. So I resigned those two positions. It was, honestly, one of the hardest things God has asked me to do in in quite a long time. Now, listen, that very week, I picked up a book. This is before I ever got a call from Generations Church. I picked up a book, and the first thing I saw in that book was John 15, 5. I am the vine. Uh-huh. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I him in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So I thought, okay. God is speaking to me. He's telling me to draw aside, to press into him, to abide in him. And I thought, I'm, I'm good with that. Well, The next week, I go to visit a friend of mine who has never given me a scripture before, ever. She's rather a new friend. And just out of nowhere, she says, I believe God has a passage, a scripture verse for you. 
And it was John 15, 5. Do you think God's trying to say something? And then, you know what's next. I get a call, or an, or an email actually, from Pastor Debbie to Darcy saying, we want you to come and do this conference. So I'm like, well, what's the topic? Abiding in the vine. <laughs> so I say all that to say, God went to great lengths. To bring this word to you. And it's been amazing because I've had the time to really abide in the vine and to study. And I just really applaud your leadership for choosing that theme because they obviously, they really did hear God. So let's give God and them a hand. I'm excited because I believe this is a word in season for you from God. So I really want you to pay attention. Listen, don't let any distractions come, go through your mind. Just bind those distractions and stay, stay tuned in. Let God speak to you. Uh, it's a word, I believe, from God because can you say God orchestrated it? I think he did. So my message today is titled, The Importance of Abiding in Christ. And I want to begin by asking you a question. Where do you live? Where do you live? Now, I'm not asking if you live in Granbury or or if you live in Grand Prairie or if you live in Fort Worth or Dallas. I'm asking you, where do you live your life? Do you live in a place called guilt on Condemnation Street? Do you live in a place called bondage on Sinway? Do you live in a a dead-end street called depression or discouragement Or despair? Where do you live? Do you live in a place called Rage Road? Or Anger Alley? Or do you live on Loser Lane? Or Bitterness Boulevard? Or Condemnation Cul-de-sac? Come on. I'm amazed how many women struggle with condemnation. Might be one of the number one struggles. Or do you live on Pity Parkway? Where do you live? And if you're living in any of those places, I'm here tonight to tell you, this weekend, you're about to have a change of address. Come on, ladies. You're about to have a change of address. You're going to move from a place called fear to a place called faith. You're going to move from a place called anger to a place called self-control. You're going to move from a place called bitterness to a place called forgiveness. And no matter which of these things you struggle with, we're all moving to the same place. And that place is abiding in Christ. Are you ready to move? Start packing right now because we're about to move. And abide means, I'm going to give you a short definition now and we'll get into it a little more later. But abide means the place where we live. Isn't that good? The place where we live or the place where we dwell or stay, or a certain place that we stay. That's what it means. Now, I'll define it, define it a little better in a minute. But first, let's read our text, which is out of John 15, 1 through 8. You can turn in your Bible if you would like, but we also have it up on the PowerPoint. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me. You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you would desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Can you say amen? Amen. So as we read this passage of scripture, I find it really interesting that John chose a vine to make this analogy and to compare and illustrate our relationship to Christ. Think about it. He could have chose anything. But in Bible days, the vineyard was really, really important to the economy and and to the uh, sustenance the life of people in Israel vineyards adorned the landscape we've been to Israel and you can just see these vineyards stretching for miles and miles so every Jew understood the relationship between the vine and the branches they understood that the vine supplied nourishment to all of the branches This was just an accepted fact. So to say that Jesus was the true vine and that we're the branches is saying that Jesus is the source of all life, of all sustenance, sustenance, of all nourishment, of everything that we need. He is our life and our breath. Our power, our strength, our hope, our wisdom, our joy, our peace, our deliverer, our healer, our sustainer, our provider, our all in all. There isn't anything that we are that we don't get from him. He is the true vine. We're just a little branch just hanging there waiting for that life sap to flow into our souls. Jesus is the true vine. Hallelujah. Now notice that that passage of scripture says he is the true vine. You see, the true vine, that sort of indicates to me that there must be false vines. There must be counterfeit vines. Come on, we know that there are. And maybe we think money is our vine. Maybe we think power or success or things or people or other things will nourish our souls, but counterfeit vines will never satisfy your soul. Some of us know, we probably all know what I'm talking about. We've looked for those counterfeit vines. They don't satisfy. Jesus is the true vine. And when we abide in him, then we have the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But there's a condition. And the condition is, if we abide in Him. You see, John 15, 4 says it this way. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless... It abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You see, nourishment for your soul and bearing fruit in your life happens only if you abide in the vine. So let's look. And this is like, I love this next part. Let's look at what does it mean to abide, okay? You're going to want to take good notes here. Okay, in John 15, the Greek word for abide is meno, M-E-N-O, the Greek word meno. Okay, it means to stay in a certain place. The noun is abode, which means a home, the place where we live. The King James Version translates abide as continue, dwell, endure, Remain and stand. Webster's defines it as to remain stable. Are you starting to get a good picture of what abide means? The classical Greek meaning is to stay and to stand fast. Wow, doesn't that just explode? Whole new meaning for abide than what I ever realized. Okay, if you put it all together, here's a combined meaning. To stay in a certain place, the abode where we live, to continue, dwell, endure, remain, and stand, to remain stable and stand fast. Woo! Pretty good definition, isn't it? Okay, but then maybe you're thinking, okay, that's really good, but where am I supposed to stay? Where am I supposed to live? Um, Where am I supposed to dwell? Uh, What are you supposed to endure and how? And... How do we remain stable and stand fast? Well, I'm going to tell you how. Okay. We are so connected to Jesus, our vine, our true vine, that we live there. As we go about our day, every moment from the time we wake up till the time we lie down, we are connected. We make our abode in his presence. We're so connected with him. We're not visitors. We're permanent residents living in his presence and drawing life from Jesus. So when Satan attacks us and life is difficult, you know what? We remain stable and we, are, we endure, we stand fast, and we just draw that life and that sustenance from Jesus. And we stand strong and stable and sure. We continue in the word and in worship, and in prayer, and we remain stable, and we stand firm. Come on. Jesse, bring me my water, please. This is what it means to abide. We're so connected to Jesus that his life-giving flow is just downpoured to us, downloaded into our lives, just like sap goes through the branches of the tree. We experience that life-giving sap and flow of Jesus Christ. That's shouting ground, church. Amen.
I'm going to read you what some of the commentaries say about abide. Weist says, abide is a permanence of position, occupying a place as one's dwelling place. Oh, I'm there right now. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Maintaining unbroken communion and fellowship with another. And that other is Jesus. It means to make our spiritual home in Christ. To depend on Him for our very life as the branch depends on the vine. To take up permanent residence and to allow Him to supply us with spiritual energy to produce fruit through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's some good preaching. That is some good preaching. Listen, Thayer says, oh, this is good. Something has established itself permanently within my soul. And it always exerts its power within me. Ladies, if we don't have that, we need to to see if we're saved. It is that life-giving flow. Let me give you an illustration. A missionary in Africa, of course Africa, (laughs) of course Africa, he lived in a house that had a generator for electricity. And some natives came to his house to visit him one day. And they noticed this light bulb hanging in the center of the room And they were amazed when the missionary flipped on the light switch and the light came on. They'd never seen anything like that before. So one of the natives asked, can I have that bulb? He was just so intrigued. He wanted the bulb. He didn't understand why. The missionary didn't understand why the native wanted the bulb. But he said, okay. And so he gave him an extra bulb. Well, one day, the missionary visited the hut of the native that had asked for that bulb. And the native led him into his hut, and there in the middle of the ceiling was this bulb hanging on a string. And he had it it hanging there, but nothing was happening at that point. And there in the middle of the room, he he was confused, and, and, and the missionary had to explain to the native that the light bulb needed electricity to work. You see, you have to have a generator. You have to be connected to a power source. The same is true of us. We're not just a light bulb hanging there in a room from the ceiling. We have to be connected to the power source. Just as electricity provides power for a light bulb to produce light, our true vine Jesus provides power for us, the branches, to produce fruit. We're going to talk about that later. Try producing fruit without the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives. It just isn't happening, church. So you can see that Christ is our true vine. We abide in Him. We abide in Christ. That is where we live. Because in Christ is where we abide. And to abide in the vine means to be in Christ. You see, they're closely linked. So we need to know what it means to be in Christ. Do you know you're in Christ? You are in Christ. 
That's the same as abiding. They're synonymous. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You see, when you invited Jesus into your life, you became a new creation in Christ. The old you is gone. The person you used to be is gone. You're a new person. The Bible calls it the old man and the new man. You're not the old man anymore. You're a new man. The old man, that's the person you were before you were born again. That person is dead. You're not that person anymore. You're a new creation in Christ. But some of you don't know that. You're still acting like the old man. But you are in Christ. Do you know, to be in something is to be surrounded by it. To be contained by it. If you took a letter and you put it in an envelope, then wherever that envelope goes, guess what? The letter goes. Whatever happens to that envelope happens to the letter. When you're in a car, you're contained by the car. Wherever the car goes, you go. If it stops, you stop. If it speeds up, you speed up. If it turns, you turn. As women, we can really understand this example. A mother carrying a baby on the inside of them. That baby is within its mother. Where the mother goes, what? The baby goes. What the mother does, the baby does. We are in Christ. You died with him. You were buried with him. You resurrected with him. You abide in him and he abides in you. Where he goes, you go. You're surrounded by him. His thoughts are your thoughts. His strength is your strength. His righteousness is your righteousness. Now, you're hearing those words out of my mouth, and you're getting it. You're, you're like, amen. But are you living that? Do you know that you are the righteousness of God? 1 Corinthians 1.30 Corinthians says, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That is who you are in Christ. You're righteous, you're holy, you're redeemed. That is who you are. You change from being lost in sin to being righteous in Christ. Yes, say it with me. I am the righteousness of Christ. Say it again. I am the righteousness of Christ. You see, you have a new divine nature. Listen to 2 Peter 1.4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. You participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You see, our old nature before we were, sa- were saved was to please ourselves. We wanted to be selfish and do what we wanted. Our new nature is to please God. If you're saved, you have a conscience and you want to please God. Christ's divine nature now permeates your being. 
Come on. He transforms your life, renews your mind, and cleanses your heart. His power flows through us. His grace enables us. His love sustains us and His mercy upholds us. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, does that mean we never sin? You know that's not true. (laughs) You know that's not true. There's always going to be a struggle between the flesh and between the spirit. And you don't, but you know what? Here's the thing. Even with that struggle, you do not have two natures. You can't have two natures. You ha- don't have a good nature and a bad nature. What is a na- what is a nature? What does that mean? It's the essence of something. That's what the nature of something is. It's what is at its core, okay? A bird's nature is what? To fly. A bird flies. A fish's nature is to swim. A sinner's nature is to sin and please themselves. And a saint's nature is to live holy and please God. You're a saint of God. Your nature is to please God. Romans 6, 6 through 7 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You are not a slave to sin. You are not a slave to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You see, when you were saved, your tendency to sin changed. It was nailed to the cross. It is dead. You are dead to sin. You cannot, if sin cannot affect or influence you. Sin has no power over you. Sin has no power over you. You have power over sin. And it's the power of Christ in your life. Satan cannot defeat you. You're more than a conqueror. You have the victory. The old Jew, the one that wanted to sin, died. That you is dead and gone. You're not that old person. You're a new person. A new you was born. Colossians 3.3 says you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Come on. Ezekiel 36.26 says you have a new heart and a new spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says you have the mind of Christ. Do you believe that? You have the mind of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says you are righteous. It says God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. To be sin for us. Some of you need to hear that right now. Listen, when you find yourself caught in a sin, and you feel so defeated, and you feel like you are letting God down, letting your family down, letting your friends down, letting yourself down, I want you to remember this. Sin has no power over you. Your nature is to please God. You are the righteousness of God. You may not feel righteous, but you are. You are no matter how you feel. When God looks at you, he sees his righteousness. Right now, no matter what you've done, what you're going to do, you are the righteousness of God. Someone once asked Michelangelo, how he created such magnificent sculptures. And here's what he said. I see something, 
something inside that stone, like maybe an angel or a person, and I just cut away everything that's not that until all that's left is them. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Father, right now. Breathe that word into these women's hearts, God. Let this word be planted deep in their souls, God. Father, there's women here tonight that need a life change, that need a heart change, God. Father, they don't see themselves as you see them, Lord. Show them what you see on the inside of them, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That's what God does in us. You see, he sees who you are in Christ. And he's going to cut away like a master sculptor everything that is not of him until all he sees that is left is his reflection. As you are changed from glory to glory. You see, someone once said, That the Christian life is simply becoming who you are. Come on, ladies. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Your nature is a new nature. But many times, there's this huge discrepancy. And that's the thing that breaks my heart. When I see women who don't know who they are. And they go around beating themselves up under condemnation and just living this defeated life. It just breaks my heart. There's just a a huge discrepancy between how God sees you and how you see yourself. You see, he sees us in Christ. We see ourselves in the flesh. He sees our righteousness. We see ourselves as ungodly sinners. He sees us justified and forgiven. If you could get that one truth down, you're justified just as if you'd never sinned, just as if I'd never sinned. And you're forgiven, but we see ourselves as condemned and bound by our mistakes. He sees us as more than conquerors. We see ourselves as ugly and fat and unacceptable, but he sees us as fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't you let the devil one more day lie to you. Don't you let the devil condemn you. Don't you let the devil tell you those things about yourself. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. Can you receive that? doesn't matter how beautiful you really are. We all just pick ourselves apart. But God wants us. To see how beautiful we are. Because you are more beautiful than you think. You're about to watch a video. It's of a criminal sketch artist. And he's sketching women without seeing them. He can't see them. First he sketches them based on their description of themselves. You got that? They're describing themselves. He can't see them. There's a curtain between them. And he is sketching them based on their description. Then he does a second sketch. The second sketch is based on the description of someone who had just met that woman for the first time. And now she is describing that woman 
to the sketch artist. He still never saw that woman. So he's doing two separate sketches, one based on the woman herself, what she is, how she's describing herself, another one based on a total stranger that just met this woman who's now describing her to this um, criminal sketch artist. The discrepancy between the two sketches is so similar to the difference in how you see yourself and how God sees you. Watch this. I'm a forensic artist. Worked for the San Jose Police Department from 1995 to 2011. I showed up to a place I'd never been, and there was a guy with a drafting board. We couldn't see them. They couldn't see us. Tell me about your hair. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me. Tell me about your chin. It kind of protrudes a little bit, Hmm. especially when I smile. Your jaw? My mom told me I had a big jaw. What would be your most prominent feature? Kind of have a fat, rounder face. The older I've gotten, the more freckles I've gotten. I would say I have a pretty big forehead. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and then they leave. I don't see them. All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this other woman, Chloe. Today I'm going to ask you some questions about a person you met earlier, and I'm going to ask you some general questions about their face. She was thin, so you could see her cheekbones. And her chin, it was a nice, thin chin. She had nice eyes. They lit up when she spoke. Cute nose. She had blue eyes, very nice blue eyes. So here we are. This is the sketch that you helped me create. And that's a sketch that somebody described of you. So yeah, that's... looks more open, friendly, and happy. Mm -hmm. I should be more grateful of my natural beauty. It impacts the choices and the friends that we make, the jobs we apply for, how we treat our children. It impacts everything. It couldn't be more critical to your happiness. Do you think you're more beautiful than you say? Yeah. Yeah. We spend a lot of time as women analyzing and trying to fix the things that aren't quite right. And we should spend more time appreciating the things that we do like. Dove. (laughs) Dove will make you more beautiful. Ladies, you are more beautiful than you think. Will you agree tonight to be kinder to yourself? I will, if you will. Gentler to yourself, more complimentary of yourself. Because the thing that's so interesting 
about that video is the discrepancy in how these women saw themselves and how a total stranger saw them is the difference between how we see ourselves and how God sees us. God sees us as His beautiful, magnificent creation. You see, Psalms 139, 13-14 says, For you, O God, you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I know that full well. You are wonderfully made, every one of you. So why are we so hard on ourselves? Why are we so critical about our looks? We criticize our hair color, our eye color, our skin color, our body shape. We don't like the size of our nose. We don't like the size of our other things. I was going to, I thought this was all women, but we won't go there. (laughs) If God's works are wonderful, then why are we so critical about what God made? You see, when God looks at you, he sees a wonderful, magnificent creation. And our bodies are the temple of God. He abides in us. And we abide in him. And he loves us just the way we are. Galatians 2, 20, 21 says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see, I'm a child of God through faith in Jesus. I am redeemed by Jesus' blood, and my sins are forgiven. So are yours. You are a citizen of heaven. You are crucified with Christ. You no longer live. The Bible says that. Christ lives in you. You're predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You are being renewed every day, inwardly, day by day. You are a sheep, and you hear his voice, and you follow him. You have the spirit of power on the inside of you, and of love, and of self-discipline. You submit yourself to God. You resist the devil, and he flees from you. In all these things, you have complete victory in Jesus who loves you. You have every spiritual blessing in Jesus. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you find your true identity in Him? You know what? I didn't always. And we're all growing in that, right? We never always get there. We never get there. But I'm going to tell a story on myself, okay? I love to tell this story, really. This was a long time ago, maybe 20-something years ago. I was at a conference on codependency. And it was in the early 1900s. And I just realized that, what? No, not, no, no, what am I thinking? Well, like 1980 or something. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I told you I'm more beautiful than I think. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Numbers and I do not get along. Okay. So, baby, what? The 1980s? 1990s. I'm terrible at dates. I'm terrible at dates. Okay. (laughs) You know what? I did that to see if you were paying attention. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, I realized back then 
that I was finding my identity in my husband. And uh, not in the Lord. And I was at a conference, and I learned that codependency was linked, that's what it was kind of about, to finding your identity in someone else. So I listened at the conference, and after the conference was over, it was a great conference, I went up to the speaker, and I thanked him for helping me realize, I was like, thank you so much. You just helped me realize that I am trying to find my identity in my husband, and I'm so grateful that you helped me see this. And so then he asked me this question, and I'll never forget this. He said, what do you do? And all of a sudden I heard my mouth saying, my husband's a pastor. And now all of a sudden I realized what I had said when I saw the look on his face. And it was kind of this look like that said, what did you just say? And I could almost hear his thoughts. Did I just hear you say when I asked you, what do you do? And you said, my husband is a pastor. Did I just hear you say that? And it was like I became so embarrassed. And he looked at me and he said, the question was not, what does your husband do? The question was, what do you do? And you know what? I didn't know what I did. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my destiny. And I, and I was so embarrassed. All I could do was, all I could do was babble some lame answer and just kind of hightail it out of there as fast as I could. But, you know, it was so obvious I was getting my identity from being Joe's wife and a pastor's wife and the mother of my children instead of from the Lord. And I saw that that night because I did not know, I did not know who I was in Christ. So tonight I want to ask you, do you know who you are in Christ? Because it is so essential to your everyday walk. Or is your identity in someone or something else? You see, 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. You are royalty. Say that with me. I am royalty. Say it again. I am royalty. What does it take to be royalty? Because some of you, I don't think you really believe that. Well, to be royalty, you must be a king or the member of a king's family. Now, a king, he may have fought his whole life to obtain his kingdom. But what do his children do? Nothing. They're just born. You are born into a kingdom of priests. You are royalty. God is the great king. Jesus is the king of kings. We are children of the king. That makes us royalty. Come on. You're heirs of the king. Some of you are living so below what God has for you. You're heirs. You have the rank of a king. You have the rights of a king. You have the power and the authority of a king. Are you living that way? Do you use that authority? You're royalty because your heavenly father is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's not because you're so great. It's because you're in Christ. Revelation 5.9 says, God made us to be a kingdom of priests, to serve our God, and that we would reign on the earth. So are you reigning in life? That's who you are. You're the redeemed, the blood-bought church, the king. You are children of the king. You're kings and priests. Did you know that? 
You're holy and set apart by God. Here's another way to say that. Do you know you're a saint? You are a saint. Now, most people have this wrong idea of what a saint is like, oh, my old grandmother that died years ago, she was such a saint. And they believe a saint is a dead holy person that's officially recognized by the church um, or this really, 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 like, virtuous person who goes around just, you know, praying all day long like a monk in a church or something like that. And you know what? The Bible teaches us that the moment we accept Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we are made righteous and we are made saints. So you are saints. Saint Mary, (laughs) that works. (laughs) Saint Aubrey, Saint Yvette, Saint Jesse, Saint Kristen. We are saints in Christ. Now, again, that does not mean that you're perfect, but it means we are righteous, which means... We are right with God. You're right with God. Do you know that? You are right with God. Why? Because you abide in Christ. Not because of any good things you've done. You could do nothing but good all the rest of your life and it wouldn't be good enough to make you righteous. So quit trying. Accept your position. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay. On a scale of 1 to 10. One being totally righteous. No, one being totally unrighteous. There goes that number thing again. (laughs) Let's hope I can get the rest of this right. And ten being righteous. So one is totally unrighteous and ten is totally righteous. How righteous is Christ? Ten. On a scale of one to ten, one being totally unrighteous and ten being totally righteous, how righteous are you? Ten. Woo! Yes, you are. You see, it couldn't be more important that you understand this. Because most Christians just say, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But the truth is, you have to get past seeing yourself as that being your basic identity. You start, stop seeing yourself as sinners and start seeing yourself as saints. You see, because if we see ourselves as sinners, guess what? We're going to sin. Uh huh. I'm tearing down some misbeliefs that you've carried around your whole life. You've got to listen closely here. If you see yourself as a sinner, you're going to sin. But if you see yourself as a saint, you know what? You're going to live like one. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he, a man, thinks in himself, so is he. You know what? If you see yourself as a loser, you're going to lose. If you see yourself as a winner, you're going to win. You see yourself as a failure, you're going to fail. You see yourself as a sinner, you're going to sin. You will produce around you what you cultivate within you. Come on. What are you cultivating on the inside? How do you see yourself on the inside? That will greatly impact what you do on the outside. I just wonder how many missed opportunities we have in life because we don't see ourselves as heirs of God, saints of God. You, do you see what you do? is determined by who you think you are. Tara Holland had a dream to be Miss America. In 1994, she entered the Miss Florida pageant. (laughs) I'm going to stay real close to my notes here. (laughs) But she only won the title of first runner-up. So in 1995, she tried again. And again, she only won first runner-up. She was about to give up 
But in 1997, she won the title of Miss Kansas. That same year, she was crowned Miss America. Tara Holland's dream had come true. Now, during an interview, someone asked Tara, what's the secret to your success? She admitted, I I was tempted to give up. I almost gave up. But instead, I went out and I rented all the videos I could find of local pageants, state pageants, Miss Teen pageants, Miss Universe and Miss World, and whatever I could get my hands on, went and rented all of these. And she would sit and she would watch them over and over and over. And as each woman was crowned a winner, Tara would see herself being crowned a winner. And she pictured herself walking down that runway. And she had victory. And time after time after time, on the inside of herself, she saw herself as a winner. And Tara Holland said that was the key to her success. And when the reporter asked her, well, were you nervous? Tara's response was, no, I wasn't nervous at all. You see, I had walked down that runway a thousand times before. I saw myself being crowned a winner a thousand times before. You see, I ask you today, have you ever walked down that runway? How do you see yourself? Are you accomplishing your dreams on the inside? Because you will become what you think yourself to be. You are royalty. You are daughters of the king. You are saints. And you are heirs. First uh, Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you. Aha. Uh-huh. Just receive that. It's a gift. Don't have to work for it. He qualified you. Okay? Thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. An heir is someone who receives an inheritance. An inheritance is not earned. It's given. As children of God, you have an inheritance. You see, John 10.10 says, the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This means we inherit a life of abundant blessing. Not someday in the, in the sweet by and by, but right now, here and now. You're more than just a sinner saved by grace. You're royalty. You're a saint. You're an heir of Christ. Don't live beneath your position in Christ. If you've been living um, at dead-end street or a street called depression or discouragement or despair, tonight you can change your address. Are you living on Rage Road or Anger Alley or Loser Lane or Bitterness Boulevard or Condemnation Cul-de-Sac or Pity Parkway? Right now you can have a change of address. Don't let Satan keep you bound one more moment. When Satan reminds me of my past, you know what I do? I remind him of his future with three spikes and a cross. Jesus conquered the devil and disarmed him of all his power over me and over you forever. With his blood, he cleansed us and he made, he cleaned, cleaned me of my past and he set me free. And today you can be free. 
You can leave here never the same again. I've given you the secrets of the kingdom, the truths of, the God, of God's word that can set you free. I want everyone to stand to your feet. If we could just have the praise team come on up and just stay in the spirit and attitude of worship, please. Let's just close our eyes. I want you to get along right now in your heart with God. We're going to have a ministry time. You know what? Faith without works is dead, right? This could just be a good word and not have an impact in your life, but we want this to have a change in your your heart and in your life tonight right now i just want every eye closed every head bowed and i want you to start doing business with god if there's an area in your life that needs to be surrendered whether it is doubt or unbelief or fear or condemnation or maybe you struggle with your your appearance or with your personality or with your role as a woman or you don't know who you are maybe you don't know who you are in Christ and you've been living way beneath the potential that God has for you whatever the need may be whatever it is that God wants to do in your life right now we're going to open up this altar I know there's a prayer ministry team if you could come down please if the prayer ministry team from Generations, half my prayer ministry team is probably here, but if Generations can come on down. These ladies are here to pray with you. I, I implore you tonight, don't leave here without getting prayer. If there's an area in your life, if you need to change your address tonight, come down, let these women lay hands on you. I see anointing oil down here at the altar. The altar is open. You can come and just kneel down here. They made it nice and comfortable with these nice cushions. Do business with God tonight. Let God move in your life. Let someone pray with you. Remember, you are in Christ. You abide in Him. And He abides in you. You can't do it on your own. Don't let embarrassment or fear of what anyone else thinks keep you from coming down this morning or this evening and allowing these women to pray with you. Church, will you do that? Ladies, will you do that? We're going to sing one more song. Amen. I believe this young lady right here is going to be so blessed. Being the first fruit, humbling herself and coming down. I know there's more. Ladies, come on down. Don't hesitate. Don't be afraid. You just want to have prayer. Maybe you want to have prayer for someone else you know, someone else in your life. Humble yourself. Come down here and seek the Lord. We're going to sing one more song, and I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Yvette. I thank you so much. You were so wonderful to preach to. Thank you so much.